To be a martyr, we have to go willingly to our death. We have to find a place at the beginning of ourselves, that place that is pure silence in God who is within us. We must be able to go to it immediately without it showing too much on our face. God and Mary and St. Patrick to you all, and an especially big hello to my listeners in Singapore. This is the Meditation and Mental Prayer podcast, Catholics Talking to God. My name is Christabel, and in this episode, we will be coming to an understanding of what it is to be a martyr. In the episode, we'll examine the Catholic understanding of martyrdom, the definition. We'll look at my personal experience of what constitutes becoming a martyr. We'll look at the first preparation for martyrdom and we'll understand the sin of omission and we'll do a short exercise in meditation and mental prayer to help us come better to understand the sins of omission which keep us from being perfect in the sight of God. So as we consider a possible martyrdom, we need to prepare ourselves now. While under the present duress, it is important to start practicing now. One thing is important beyond all other that you learn to hand your will over to God. Also that you remember that you must not prepare to have ready what you're going to say to your inquisitors. You must be ready to move, to speak only through the Holy Spirit. Now is the time to practice this. Now is the time, but there's not much of it. So what are the precepts of martyrdom? One of the most important considerations to contend with is the question, is your arrest, prosecution or jail sentence a direct result of your Catholic faith? If the answer is yes, well, then you could become a martyr. However, the term martyr is being misused in today's media and in fact it's been misused quite a lot by Catholics as well through the years. Father Jacques Hamel was a French Catholic priest who was murdered by Muslims while he said Mass. This happened on the 26th of July 2016. Now the circumstances of his death have led him to be called a martyr and this by Christians, Catholics obviously, including non-Christians and the press. The Catholic Herald did an article on the murdered priest and described him as dying a martyr's death. Not only did they say he died a martyr's death, but they added, of this there can be no question. But unfortunately, there is a question. Let me share my experience with you. In the early 1970s, I was attending an evening mass in a chapel in North Belfast. The mass had ended and the people were pouring out of the chapel when a vehicle full of loyalists went by and sprayed bullets into the front of the chapel and into the Catholics. There was, of course, a lot of screaming and a speedy retreat back inside the church. No one was injured on that occasion, thank God. But the following week, about 15 people were killed in different parts of Northern Ireland through shootings or bombings. That same week, on the 26th of June 1973, Paddy Wilson, an SDLP politician, which is the Catholic Party, and his female secretary were kidnapped and tortured and murdered by Protestant paramilitaries. It was reported that they were horribly mutilated while still alive. Crosses had been cut into their bodies. Their bodies were dumped in a Belfast quarry. On the next Sunday Mass, the priest mounted the pulpit and said to us that the Catholics being murdered by the British soldiers and the Protestant paramilitaries, even though they were only killed because they were identified as Catholic, were not martyrs to the Catholic faith and we were to stop identifying them as martyrs 
As you can imagine, this was quite horrendous to us. So what constitutes the elements for martyrdom? Apparently in 2006, Benedict wrote to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, more or less to explain to them that they had not to use the term martyr as liberally as they had been and that they were actually misusing the term. So here is the criteria necessary to be nominated for sainthood because you were a martyr. First, the martyrs of the past and those of our time now have to give their life by spilling their blood freely and consciously in a supreme act of love, witnessing to their faithfulness and their belief in Christ, to the gospel and to the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And it is, of course, necessary to find irrefutable proof of readiness to become a martyr. Not just the outpouring of blood alone, but the acceptance of death by the Catholic victim. Secondly, it is likewise necessary, directly or indirectly, but always in a morally certain way, to ascertain the odium fidei, which is the hatred of the faith by the persecutor, that is, the person killing you. So you can see that we can't just say offhand that that poor priest, nor the Catholics killed in Northern Ireland, were martyrs for the Catholic faith. The first recorded martyr for the Catholic faith, of course, was St. Stephen in the Acts of the Apostles. So let's look what happened there. He's giving a speech before the council, the Jewish council, and he's being very upfront with them and very straight. He's saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do you also. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them who foretold of the coming of the just one. He then goes on to tell them they were murderers of Jesus Christ. And in verse 54 it says, Now hearing these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looking up steadfastly to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they, crying out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and with one accord ran violently upon him. And casting him forth without the city, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And falling on his knees, that is Stephen, he cried with a loud voice saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in the Lord and Saul was consenting to his death. We need to find this perfect union with God. We must look at how to answer God's call to become perfect. And as we know in Matthew chapter 5, 48, Jesus says, Be you therefore perfect, as also your heavenly Father is perfect. St John of the Cross warns, For the soul to become united itself perfectly with God through love and will. It must not intentionally and knowingly consent with the will to imperfections. Also St John adds that if we become attached habitually to voluntary imperfections, this curtails the soul from not only divine union but also from progress in perfection. So what is an imperfection? Okay, I'll describe it. An imperfection is the omission to do some good act that we could do as the occasion presents itself. If the Holy Spirit prompts us to do a small deed, 
that would show an extra kindness or charity to someone else and we ignore it or put it off until we have forgotten about it. This is a venial sin of omission. There's no law that says we ought to act in a better way beyond keeping the commandments or laws of the church. But if we want to be perfect, we always have to be in the mode of listening to God's directions. So we enter into a new life where we are daily dying to ourselves. How do we do this? Really with an examination of conscience and listening to God's directions when we enter into deep mental prayer. Now St Benedict advises his monks, we believe that the divine presence is on all sides and that the eyes of the Lord behold all, both good and bad, whatsoever they may be. Especially, however, let us believe this without any doubt whatsoever. When we assist at the work of God, and by the work of God, he's actually talking about praying the divine office. And he continues, And thus let us be always mindful of what the prophet says. Serve the Lord in fear. And again, sing wisely. And in the sight of the angels will I sing to thee. Therefore let us consider how we ought to comport ourselves in the sight of God and his angels. And let us so take our part in the office that mind accord with voice. From these wise words, we have to admit that most of our rosaries are peppered with imperfections. Our meditation and mental prayer should be led by our examination of conscience and also the insights that God gives us during our intimate time with him during mental prayer. We need to know ourselves. Otherwise, how will we know what needs attention? How will we be aware of our secret motives for doing good? How will we uncover those faults we're blind to in ourselves? Saint Ignatius insists that we must be clearly aware of the progress we make in the spiritual health of our souls. We need to know that we are making progress. This is where the difference is between secular meditation, which is inclined to drift around seeking a place of nothingness, or secular counselling that's searching in our emotions and the resulting negative behaviour. We look for a cause for this. But in this, there's always this searching and the pointing finger. Who did this to me? Who did that to me? Who did not do right by me? Who left me unsupported, neglected, unloved? Yes, it is important to know and understand how outside influences impacted our lives. But the knowledge will not help us on our new today journey to heaven. Why do I say that? Because unless we forgive those who have injured us, even in childhood, we cannot go forward with our prayer life because we can't even say they are Father properly. Rather than treating ourselves gently and compassionately, we must wage war against the self, ourselves. That lying, gossiping, angry, sinful, willful self is the battlefield. And we begin with the examination of conscience. If we are in the habit of committing mortal sin, this needs to be jettisoned now, no more mortal sin. An important action is to root out venial sins that lead to mortal sin. Telling lies and working at duplicity is infamous for leading us deeper into sin. There is a simple method that shows a way to uncover those ingrained faults that we stumble on habitually and that is by meditation first of all on the passion of Christ and then moving on into mental prayer from that. So we begin bringing ourselves into the presence of God. Oh my God make me understand how necessary it is for my soul to be pure in order to be united to you who are infinite perfection. And we read the scripture in Matthew 26 verse 42. Again the second time he went and prayed saying, My father, if this chalice may not pass away, 
but I must drink it, I will be done. Here we see Jesus, who is God, using the virtue of humility. This is why we say he humbled himself to become man. We can only become humble by begging him for the grace to become so. And then we have the next verse. And he cometh again, and finding them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And leaving them, he went again and prayed the third time, saying the selfsame word. Now, if we're talking to Jesus and we're thinking about him meditating on this piece of scripture, we might say to him, my dearest Jesus, how often in the past did you come to me and find me unresponsive, uncooperative even? I'm ashamed, Jesus. And we might turn then to Peter and say, dear St. Peter, you and I both are awake now. Tell me, what does Jesus want of me? What can I do to please Jesus? So often I've missed opportunities to work toward holiness. I have been unresponsive to the still small voice that gracefully suggests to me to do a good deed not required of me. And then in Matthew 14, 35 to 37, we read, Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the Lord of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or as the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming on a sudden he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And we say to him, Lord Jesus, your silent reproof is more terrible to me than your reprimand. I am so sorry for. And then we talk about what is in our hearts about how we've let him down. If we look now at John chapter 18, verse 2. Judas therefore, having received a band of soldiers and servants from the chief priests and the Pharisees, comes thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. If we're meditating on this, and we think about it, and we talk to our Lord about it. Maybe we say, Jesus, I will rush to defend you before the mob of this world. In my small way, every day, I will raise the torch higher to illuminate you to all around. Give me the grace enough to do this. Of course, this is a very individual thing. Each of us has something different to say to Jesus. Each of us has our own personal relationship with him and our thoughts and our problems are the things that we share with him in mental prayer. And it's in mental prayer, at that step closer, that opening of our souls to him, that he can speak to us and show us as individuals what he wants of us. Because he loves us so much. He wants us to be with him, not just in heaven, or can you say just in heaven, but he wants to be with us now and he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be his special people. Thank you.